Hello and welcome to Hummingbird, a weekly podcast with April Lee Janes and Jessica Outram. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is about Karita Kent. And we're going to be looking at what we can learn from her about ourselves as students of creativity and teachers of creativity. I'm so excited to jump into this one, April, and explore the world of Karita Kent and her creative ways to light us up. Recently, I we had an episode where she was mentioned, and then you are amazing. You went and ordered the book instantly. And now you've got the book and you've been spending some time with it. And we decided that we would go through and do a deep dive. I went and I ordered that book as soon as we got done recording that day, because it just, I thought, oh, this woman sounds amazing. And I looked her up a little bit online, immediately ordered the book. It came quickly, which I was really excited about. In Nova Scotia, things don't always come quickly. And yeah, I've had it by my bedside ever since reading it and applying it. What I found is it's simple to apply, but boy, it's deep. Because she was your introduction, tell us a little bit about her so people know who we're talking about here. Sure. So the book that we're referring to is called Learning by Heart, Teachings to Free the Creative Spirit, and it's by Karita Kent and Jan Stewart. It's a book that I was introduced to over 20 years ago. It has been central to my work as someone who writes and central to my work as a teacher for the last 20 years. Karita Kent was born in 1918, and she was an artist, educator, and an advocate for social justice. When she was 18, she entered the religious order of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and that's where the name Karita comes from. She was Sister Karita because she eventually ended up heading up the art department at Immaculate Heart College. Throughout the 60s, her work became increasingly political, and she really urged viewers to think about poverty, racism, and injustice. She used popular culture imagery, you know, similar to like what Andy Warhol was doing, but to deliver deep and complex messages around faith and social relations. In 1968, Things were changing in the Catholic Church, and she decided to leave the order. So she's no longer Sister Carita. She picks up her name from before she was a nun, Kent, and she keeps the Carita part just because as teachers, sometimes you you get that identity and it's hard to let that piece go. So she became Carita Kent and moved to Boston. And when she passed in 86, she had created almost 800 seriograph editions, thousands of watercolors, and innumerable public and private commissions. Among her most famous pieces was a postage stamp in the U.S. that was very popular that had some colors on it, and it said the word love and a heart. And she also did uh, a, a very interesting rendering, like she actually painted on it, the water tower in Boston. So that's just a little bit about her. Oh. Having just read the book and and we had a, I'm going to let the audience have have a little look into our process here. Jessica often puts together show notes and and a a kind of an outline of a script of what we're going to talk about. We both fill it in as we go along. And as I was filling this in, she had one show for Corita and I'm reading it thinking there's so much here. We can do two shows. So we're going to do a follow-up to this one. This is part one. You'll get part two in the next episode. But having just read the book, I wanted to look at those rules that Karita put out one at a time and how I've applied them as I've read this book 
and how they've informed my work just in this past week or two. And I thought that was a real good practical way of helping other people with their creativity and share some of the stuff that's going on with us. So I agree completely with you. These rules were ones that she developed probably in collaboration with her students or the other instructors at the Immaculate Heart College Art Department. And this was these were their art department rules. So these were very much living, breathing, working rules that were used to help promote creativity and to teach creative processes to all sorts of young people as well as adults. Let's jump in. I'm going to re we're going to swap back and forth on these rules. And I'm going to start with number one, because I really thought about this one for a while. She says, find a place you trust and then try trusting it for a while. As I went deeper into this, and I think well, I'm probably going to find this with all of her work. There are so many layers to what she offers. Yes, I trust my studio and it's a place where I love to come and I, and I work in here and it's my personal space. But I got thinking about how a place that I trust is also my medium what I'm using to, to create with, because I have, I don't want to call it a bad habit because that's too judgmental, but I have a habit of <laughs> jumping around from, oh, this and this and this, you know, they, but we call them squirrels, you know, that after the up movie, oh, squirrel, and you know, and you go chase something else. I am exactly the same. <laughs> and this get, and, you know, it gets my attention. So my medium that I trust, right, has been watercolor for years and years. And so I'm, I've trusted that for a long while. Now I'm looking to branch out a little bit more. And so I'm trying some different mediums. If I apply her rule, then when I get something that I feel good about, I need to stay with that one for a while and let it become part of who I am. Also about trusting my voice. I've, I've worked very realistically and tightly in my watercolors. I'm feeling a pull to be looser in what I do. And so I've been playing with oils and getting a, a much more graphical, almost abstract look to my look, to my work, which I'm enjoying. It's a different place. So that may be another thing I'm going to trust for a little while. So I found that this rule had a lot of layers in it. I'm going to jump over to you, Jessica, and see what you have to say of what you think about this rule. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that I always, as a teacher, I always think if I only had to have one rule, what would it be? And I think this is a good rule. So sometimes we can get overwhelmed by having many rules and she's got a list of 10 here, plus a little add on hint. And we're gonna go through each one. For those of you that are just starting out, it's hard to incorporate every rule into everything that you do. So if there was one to do, it's this. And I really love that connection that you made between the place where you create and also what you're creating and where that trust lies. I wanted to take a little bit of a different look as we go through the rules and think about them in terms of what we can do as educators or teachers of creativity. You know, safety is so important for risk taking and creating those conditions in your workshop or your classes where your students, adults or teens or children, um, I'm going to call them students as we go, but let's assume that they could be of any age. They need mm. to feel safe to be able to take those risks. It's important to have routine and repetition in order to create a practice. So you have some sense of things that are automatic and some things that you can put a twist on and catch you by surprise. I think it's important in a place that I would want to create for students so that they, they trust it. I want them to have access to everything that they need. So everything needs to be at their fingertips and maybe some things that they didn't even know that they needed. And then to promote that culture of showing up and create. We can create this setting 
by setting norms like she's done here. These are the norms or the rules that she has for the space that they're working in. And it's really important when we're creating in a space together that we have some expectations around how we're going to be and how we're going to move forward. And then of course, as an educator, you really need to model that trust, modeling how you are feeling safe and comfortable within the space that you are creating and also the form that you're creating and showing your students that it's okay to take risks and it's okay for things to be messy, that we can be open to all of it. I'm thinking as a, as, as a, cause I'm, I'm approaching this because I'm going through the book right now. I'm approaching it more as a student and I teach as well, but for this episode, I'm really approaching these as a student. We can create our own safety as well. As a, a working artist, I don't have to show everything I do. And if I'm feeling unsafe or uncertain about something for a while, find a place where I can work with it and trust it and not feel I have to push it out there at all. Yeah, I, th I think this is a big one. And the other one I'm thinking about right now, too, is I know as we're talking here, a lot of artists in my past and writers and creative people have said they hate the idea of rules. So if this is hanging you up right now while we're talking about it, Jessica used a good word. She used the word norm. This is a norm that we know we can, a, a structure we can work within. And we're going to talk about structure next week, actually. So if rule is hanging you up, don't think of this as a carved in stone rule. These are guidance for us as artists and creative people to do our best work. Anyway, over to you now for rule number two. Yep. Yes, rule number two. And maybe before we get into that, because you just made me remember that one of the parts of the books that they talk about is when they were doing a lot of this work, it was in the 60s and 70s, where within education and within arts, there was a lot of work on breaking rules, not having rules and having things open. And they actually go through in the book and talk about the importance of having some structure in place and how that's different than discipline. And again, like you said, we'll talk about that in our part two, because that's a big, big piece of what she's doing here. So rule number two, yeah. the general duties of a student, pull everything out of your teacher, pull everything out of your fellow students. What do you think of that one? Well, it was really interesting. I went to an, a workshop on oil painting last week, and we mentioned it, I think, in the last episode. I had just read these rules before I went, and I thought, okay, what would that look like for me? And so I went wanting to do exactly this. What, what would change for me if I approached this learning time to pull everything out of the teacher and out of my fellow students. So I went and I took notes. I asked questions. I listened to what other people were asking and noting as they were working through this, because sometimes they brought up things I hadn't thought of. And then when I finished what I was doing, there were a couple of other teachers in the room and I asked their permission before I did this, but I went over as the teacher was giving them feedback and asked if I could listen in because I felt that was one other area that he might say something there that I didn't get on my piece when he was giving feedback. And it was, it was very valuable and extremely rich, the learning, because it was something different would be triggered for the teacher. When I do workshops again, it's something I'm going to encourage my students to do, to follow around and let's look at each piece separately so that they get the learning from everybody, not just from me, but from the students, other students as well, and allow the chit chat to happen between students because they can learn from each other. It was just a, it, I won't say it was a huge difference for me at the workshop, but there was a difference in the way I came into that workshop and learned. And I came away, I felt with a lot more. It was only a four hour workshop and I felt like I came away with 
as much as I would have come with a, with a full day workshop, because I really used this rule. Well, that would have been um, absolutely uh, incredible. So thank you for sharing that. And I think that it's important for us to pay attention to how we learn, not just the fact that we're learning. And it's that metacognition piece, right? That's what we call it in the education Mm -hmm. world. It's paying attention to how we learn and where we're getting those pieces. So when I look at this one, I think we are all students. Even the teacher at the front of the room needs to find ways to learn alongside the students. And this is within any discipline because everybody brings something unique to the material. So if we use the art or the literature or whatever we're learning as the third point to look at together with the students, so you have the teacher and the student are each a point and the third point becomes the work that you're looking to. And then you can lead by using questions and model that learning mindset for students and even model how to persevere through challenging tasks by you know, being part of that together. And then you can really, you can explore those questions together. So for me, that's, that's where I go when I see this is that importance of everybody being a student. Rule number three, then general duties of a teacher, which is to pull everything out of your students. And you know what I, as I'm looking at these two together and listening to you talk, I'm really thinking the idea that students are teachers, teachers are students. We're very interchangeable in this dynamic here. I don't teach workshops right now because mine are all in-person workshops. I can do Zoom workshops, but you know, I, I prefer to be painting and working on something else at this point. I like to be with my students. So this one's going to be applied in the future when I'm teaching again. But I do know that when I am teaching, I always feel like I learn a lot more from my students sometimes than they get from me. They have a new idea, a new way of looking at something when I may have been stuck in this is the way it is, and they will come at it from a different angle completely. They bring different life experiences to these things. And if I'm paying attention, I will get as much from them as they get from me, which I, which I find is so gratifying when I'm teaching a workshop. I love that give and take. So what about you, Jessica? Well, and as you mentioned that, I was just imagining, like, as you know, I work as a principal by day. And the thing I would hear most from educators who bring in student teachers is that what they love most about having a student teacher isn't being the mentor and the role model and the teaching the student teacher. It's what they learn from the student teacher. So if we could take that mindset and apply it to what the way we're working about students, I think we could really open up education in a beautiful way. It took me probably until, and this is embarrassing, probably until about my 10th year of teaching for me to recognize it's not about what I'm teaching. It's about what the students are learning. And part of that's a systemic problem. And when we went to teachers college, we really focused on the lesson design, curriculum design, what we were teaching. And when I made that shift to, oh, it's not about what I know or what I present to them. It's about where they are and how I move them from here to here. So it's important to shift the perspective. So to pull everything out of your students, the first thing that you need to do as a teacher is you need to let go of this notion that it's about what you're teaching. It's about who your students are, what the learning needs are, and then how you're working together with them to move them forward in those needs. You know, I like now to think about each student and ask myself during a typical lesson, what is it that they're doing? What are they saying? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? And it's almost like an empathy lens 
feel free to look this up. It's called empathy mapping. So it's putting yourself in the shoes of one of the students in the class, and then you learn from them and then adjust your teaching that way and then make it responsive. There was a little guy in my office last week, another staff came in and he's in grade one and said to him, so what are you doing? And he says, oh, we're just talking about the meaning of life. And I went, okay. So I turned to him and I said, so what is the meaning of life? And he looked at me completely straight faced and he says, life is a grain of sand and so are all of we. My jaw just hit the floor because this was a very deep thought from a student who five minutes before said, you know, I was playing soccer and I wanted the ball. So I hit him. And now he's gone from that to life is a grain of sand. And so are all of we. And it was just, it was just such a moment that he could hold both of those big ideas inside of him. I learned so much in that moment that it's not just one thing, right? And so I think pulling everything out of your students goes beyond even looking at that third point of the art or the literature or the lesson. It's also what you can learn from them about life. And they can teach us so much about life. So our our viewers can't see me, but I've been sitting here thinking, Whoa, Jessica can see me. I've got my hand by my mouth and I'm the thoughtful pose, right? You know, there's so much about what you're (laughs) saying here. And it struck me that it's not just about students. It's about as we create art, we need to talk to the people who are looking at our art, reading our art, listening to our art and seeing what it is that they're learning from it, because that can inform future work that we do too. I, I just love all the layers of these guidance that she's given us. I'm trying to try not to use the use the word rules because I know it really freaks some people out, but the, these guides that she's given us, there's so many levels to them. They're amazing. I mean, it's rule number four. What is it, Jessica? Consider everything an experiment. I love so, this one. <laughs> I know, right? Like this is, and this is, we, we've talked about all sorts of things around play before and it kind of fits within this. So, so tell me with your arts that you, that you do, how, how would you use this? Consider everything an experiment. Well, first off, I think this is huge permission. I don't know, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about joy. I think if we consider everything experiment, it invites joy into the room with us, right? It takes the judgment out. It's just fun. And we can enjoy what we're doing because even if we botch it up, because we all do, we can say, wow, what did I learn from that? Right now I'm working on a a new watercolor, big painting, a new watercolor, new kind of subject, pushing my envelope with that a little bit, some of the things that I'm doing in it. And I'm also working on this painted quilt that I'm doing of uh, my father in his first car. It's all coming from a place of curiosity. You know, I'm using different resources. You know, what other things could I consider for this? I'm researching things that I could do with it. I'm spending time watching videos, what other artists have done, particularly for the painted quilt because it's an experiment and I want to learn what other people have done because that in science and I always think of science and experiments going together it's an accepted practice to build on the work of other people and I think we need to realize that's an accepted practice in art as well it's not accepted to copy but it's certainly accepted to learn and to emulate and so I can experiment with that what would it look like if I painted like Van Gogh on my art quilt like what would that give me it's a lot of fun it brings that element of play in that often we're missing we get so so serious about what we're doing and we need to let go of that sometimes 
Mm-hmm. It helps too, I think, just with being open to surprise and letting go of predicting the outcomes because in an experiment, nothing is really good or bad, right? And so if you consider yep. everything ex- an experiment, you remove the inner critic, you remove the judgment, and it's really just about what are my goals, what is working and what isn't working and how do I move forward? And I just want to say, you, you use the word outcome. If we already know the outcome, it's not an experiment, Right. No, nope. so, so we really have to get out there where we're not comfortable. Yeah. Right. And so as teachers, I think it's really important to look at this through the teaching lens. We've got to let go of knowing everything. We need to be able to step into the unknown and be open to all of that surprise because it's more important that we bring our questions. And this is something else that we always bring up when we uh, when we're when we're talking is that importance of questions. But it's more important that we bring our curiosity and questions than it is for us to to bring our knowledge. And it's modeling the learning. So this is this is one I think we could do a whole month on. <laughs> Yeah. What are some experiments we could encourage our listeners to try, you know, and and actually, if you're listening to this, we would love you to put in the comments, some of what your experiments are, because we would like to share those and challenge each other for experimenting. Rule five is to be self-disciplined. And I like the way she describes this. This means finding someone wise or smart and choosing to follow them. To be disciplined is to follow in a good way. To be self-disciplined is to follow in a better way. Mm. And I really been thinking about this. What does that mean? And how does it look? I'm still playing with this one myself. Right now, I'm, I'm looking at all those resources I mentioned in the book, Learning by Heart. They I mentioned the films of Ray and Charles Eames, which I didn't realize there were films out there. So I've started watching those. I've read books about my favorite artists to get a little more insight into what their work is doing. And I have an artist friend who is creating great success for herself in selling her art and things. So I'm analyzing how it's being done. And as I mentioned before, I'm emulating. I'm not copying or stealing. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to see what will work for me and pick those pieces out of it and make it my own in my own practice. So I think that's part of what self-discipline means. And I, like I said, I've got to dig deeper into this one because I feel like there's layers in here that I'm missing yet. I've found I've been doing that too with my poetry lately. I um, have been reading a lot of Mary Oliver poems and then trying to unpack them and figure out what it is that she's doing there. And then I recently bought a, a book of hers that talks about forms of poetry and her process and approach to poetry. So now I feel I'm bringing that next layer in to see what I what it is that I can do as a poet to be better right? To find a better way. But when I look at this through the lens of being a teacher and an educator, I can't help but think about representation. And do our students or myself, do we see ourselves reflected in our mentors and our resources? How do we grow those authentic, diverse voices? By connecting them to voices that feel like they're connected in some way to the student. So we need to let go of a canon We don't need everyone to follow all the same people for inspiration. When I see this, I want to think about how can I, in a creative class, open things up for people to find their people that inspire them instead of saying everybody needs to be inspired by Mary Oliver or Christy Belcourt because I am. We each have our own personal individualized canons and there's, there's, I think, a great gift 
to be self-disciplined in a better way by opening up to voices that really speak to you instead of the voices that others are saying you need to learn from da Vinci, for example. We're going to, we're actually going to talk about this in a future episode when we talk about creating a creative genealogy, which is something that Austin Cleon mentions in his books, Steal Like an Artist. That's going to come up and I think we'll go a lot deeper into this question on that mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so rule number six, nothing is a mistake. There's no win and no fail. There's only make. I heard Ben Zander speak a couple of times. Ben Zander is, or was, I don't know if he still is, the conductor for the Boston Symphony. But he's also an amazing teacher. He has a, his own rule number six, which fits right into this. So I'm wondering if he and Karita ever knew each other. Um, impossible, because it's Boston, right? But his rule number six is don't take yourself so seriously. And he had a visitor that said, wow, that's a fine rule. And then after a moment of pondering, the visitor asks, and what may I ask are the other rules? And Ben Zander says, there aren't any, you know, so it kind of, it's, <laughs> but if you, he also has a thing, if you read his book and it's called, I think the art of possibility, we're going to put it in our, our, our uh, playlist. Whenever he would make a mistake or have one of his students would make a mistake because he was teaching music, he'd have them throw their hands up in the air and go, ta-da, you know, and he would teach everybody <laughs> in the audience to do that. And I'd forgotten about that until I read this one. And it's like, okay, I can start doing that in the studio. Ta-da. <laughs> you know? It just, it's, what did I learn? <laughs> the, I've been doing, I've been doing that lately too. You got to really celebrate those moments, right? So instead of just like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. right, instead of that, oh, this is bad. It's yes, I'm learning. This is great. I'm learning. <laughs> is this wonderful? You know, when people get down about, uh, what are they, the, the online gaming, right? The, the kids with the video games. I do say to them, there's something very positive about those video games they need to keep in mind. And that's the kids realize they're learning that nothing is a mistake. They learn something, they go back, they start over again and use what they learn to go further the next time. And so I kind of think of this as the video game rule now. Nothing's a mistake. You know, you, there's only make. Just keep going, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And as a teacher, uh, we need to move away from those outcomes and shift from the product to the process. And I think really looking at how we can use clear feedback to move students along in a dialogue. So it's not a monologue where it's just me talking. It's a dialogue where they have voice too to reflect on their process. And we have that conversation around the learning and how it's going rather than saying, oh, great, I'll use your video game analogy here. Oh, great, you made it to level yeah. 10. Well, it's not about that. It's about what, what did you learn along the way to get to level 10? And to me, it's all about that engagement all along the way. Taking a master class, one of the, one of those master classes from Jeff Koons, and he talks about the creativity happens in the process. The creativity is not the piece that you make; it's what's happening while you're making it. And so, yep, just get out there and engage and make. I think is a great guidance for us as as uh, creative people. So, rule number seven goes right along with that. The only rule is work. If you work, it will lead to something. It's the people who do all of the work all of the time who eventually catch on to things. And I love this rule. I used to, when I was teaching writing, people always said, oh, you know, there's so many great writers out there. And I said, you know, there's a lot of great writers that never got published because the ones who succeed are the ones who persist. And that's what this all says to me. This is about persistence. You just keep 
showing up. You don't wait for inspiration. That's the other one that's a, a bit of a lie. Oh, I can't work today. I don't, I don't feel very inspired. But you know, if I called my boss and said, oh, I'm not coming into work today, I don't feel very inspired. I'm gonna, not going to keep my job. And if I have a, a contract that I'm working under or you know, the, a deadline for something or a commission for an artwork, you can't wait to be inspired. You just get in there and work. And that's persistence. Yep. And, and the, reacher, the research and education is really clear on the importance of persistence or perseverance. And in every field from sciences to tech, to arts and humanities, to trades, in the end, it's the ones who persevere through challenges. It's the ones who work that keep moving through. And it's the ones who reach those highest levels of success. You know, you have, yeah, you have the odd people everywhere in every field that won the bingo. And for some reason, they just kind of got there. But most of the time, it's perseverance. And that's why in education, there's been so much research around this idea of, we call it the growth mindset and being able to stretch our minds to be able to work through these challenges because we need to do. It's about the work we learn through doing. And in each of my workshops that I run through my coaching, creativity coaching business, I always remind everyone that the goal of gathering today to learn together is to work. That's why we're here. And I would hope that people who are listening to our podcast, you know, the goal of, of, of us having these conversations with each other is to inspire each other to reflect and create, but also to inspire other people who are listening to reflect on the conversation, you know, and I'm sure join in in their own way in their head or through our com the comments on the, the sites or social media, but then also we, we want people to be going out there and creating and learning through this as well. So we have this continual mm -hmm. cycle of action and reflection. The only other thing I think about through an educator lens with this idea about the only rule is work is how important it is as an educator to deeply consider the task when designing your learning experiences and making sure that the task is something that will lead to something that it's authentic, that it's got multiple entry points for students to be able to see themselves and to take it in a direction that they want to take it in. Otherwise, you're going to end up with, for example, you've seen this in kindergarten sometimes, every child has the exact same paper plate bunny <laughs> with all the same cutout pieces glued on, right? So we want, you know, let's create a bunny, but let's do it in a way that allows each child to create their own bunny. Or, you know, mm -hmm. I think about these paint nights, which can be really, you know, wonderful because the rule, the only rule is work and everybody is creating toward that. And then eventually I, what I'm noticing is my friends who are going to paint nights, they started there and now they're breaking out of those structures and now they're painting things independently, finding mm -hmm. that right balance between the task and the skill and always focused on work they learn the skills and then they start to experiment. So they apply another rule there, which I think I agree. It, the, the paint nights are a great step in for people who are afraid to get started or don't know where to start. They just don't know how to get started. And this is a great way for them into it. But then they need to keep working and, and experiment. When you were talking, I love, I picture somebody working away in their studio or at their kitchen table or at their computer listening to our podcast while they're creating and if you're out there doing that right now hey here's a big hello because we we feel you we want to be with you and we want to support you oh yes absolutely are you ready for rule number eight april 
I am. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So this is this this is attached to rule number seven about the work. Don't try to create and analyze at the same time. They are different processes. What I love about I always think of Stephen King's book, which I adore, his book on writing about the creative process. He says he writes twice. Once with the door closed, it's just for him. And the other was the door open. So create, then edit. But whatever it is you're doing, plant your garden, then edit it. Create the recipe, then change it. Whatever it is you need to do, don't try to create and analyze at the same time. I think this is brilliant because it just, it brings the judgment in too soon if you try to analyze it too soon. Yeah, and I find that particularly with, I'm just learning how to paint. And if I start thinking about the symbolism or the meaning behind what I'm painting while I'm painting it, it's a lot more restricted than if I just paint things and then afterwards analyze, okay, what does this mean and why did I do this? And the same thing with poetry or fiction when I'm when I'm writing. It's important for me to just get it out first and create and then go back, like you said, and do the editing, or I like to call it revision and to see it again and jump in. As a teacher, when I look at this, one of the things that I can do to help set people up for success is to use a combination of peer and master examples. So when I first started teaching, I would often share stories and poems that were written by famous writers. And then I would say, okay, go and write a story or go and write a poem. So we would read, read Shakespeare's sonnets and I'd say, all right, your turn. Or I would read a short story by Alice Walker and then I'd say, okay, now it's your turn to write a story. And again, it took me some time to recognize that students need a range. And that's the same for adults as well. Peer samples are very powerful for all of us as learners to see that entry point and let go of the inner critic. Because no one, not even Margaret Atwood, is Margaret Atwood in that first draft. I always tell my, my students that when I'm writing, that, you know, Ernest Hemingway wasn't Ernest Hemingway until his editors got a hold of him. But he had to be the creative side of it so that there was actually something to edit. Rule number nine, let's move into that one. Be happy whenever you can manage it. And I think this is just a good rule for life. Enjoy <laughs> yourself. It's lighter than you think. And I think she has an artwork that goes with this one too. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. The only thing I'm going to say is it's our choice. And it's funny. I was talking to someone this week that was going through some a rough patch in their life and said, you know, no one makes us unhappy but ourselves. We choose to be unhappy. There's a... Um, Oh, a Tibetan nun who I really like her work and I can't think of her name at the moment. But she said, we all experience pain, but we choose whether we suffer. So, you know, just be happy whenever you can manage it. Just invite that in, that joy that we talked about in, in the previous episode. I, yeah, absolutely. And that gratitude too, being able to see that opportunity everywhere, even when it isn't easy. And recognizing that when you're in that state of discomfort, that's what learning feels like. So it's like, yes, I'm learning instead of, oh, this is all so horrible and awful. But shifting again, that thinking and that view to seeing the joy in change and seeing the possibility in that discomfort. As a teacher, I think that it's really important to be explicit and intentional about modeling this and teaching this to your students. It's important to help them to celebrate their progress and notice when they've persevered or taken risks and then find those ways to laugh and connect together. 
when we give feedback to students, I think that it's important not to go from a place of judgment or, you know, take your red pen and go all over a, a piece of writing. But to really look at it and think, oh, wow, I really saw where you started here and how much work you put in to go from here to here. And when I read this part, it really resonated with me and I got goosebumps here. I would love to see more of that. So build mm -hmm. from students' strengths. And to me, this, this being happy whenever you can manage it is also about celebrating the goodness in even each other's work. Everything is about relationship. The relationship between the teacher and the students amongst the students and then that collective relationship with the work and then those individual relationships with the work and those are a whole lot of opportunities to be happy and i think it's important to mention we're not talking about being pollyannas here we're talking no. about being realistic and finding that one i'm working in a painting right now if i really botch it up i know i can find one area that i'm happy with and learn from that and move forward but look for what makes you happy. Don't dwell on the thing that, you know, what did I learn from this? That's all you need to know. And be happy about what you learn. Again, not to be a Pollyanna, just be realistic and to move forward with what, don't let it stop you. I think that's a lot of what it is. Don't let it stop you. Nope. So we're at rule 10 here. We've been yeah. talking a lot today, but there's so I know, much in here. There is, and we just <laughs> love this. So rule number 10, we're breaking all the rules, even our own rules. And how do we do that? By leaving plenty of room for X quantities. And that's a quote for, by uh, John Cage that she's included in there. I think as teachers, we can model this through collaboration and through co-creation. We can do this together and redefine how things should be. So, you know, you can take a haiku and you know have everybody write a haiku and then we can say okay how can we flip this what do we want to do that's a really great a great place for doing that I had a, an example of when I was teaching grade 11 English I had some students put their hands up and they said to me miss instead of doing an essay for this unit do you think we could perform Macbeth and I said okay tell me more so they told me what they wanted to do. They wanted to stage the entire play. They wanted to create their own costumes and sets. They weren't going to memorize it, but they were going to learn it really well. They wanted to do a character assignment where they wrote up like a backgrounder on their character and an analysis of who they are and the impact within the story, which in my mind, I'm thinking that sounds an awful lot like an essay, but okay, okay. tell me more. <laughs> And then they wanted to invite another class in to sit and watch it. And so we did it. We shut down the whole unit. We did nothing that I had done before. We didn't do all the comprehension questions. We didn't, you know, read it and analyze it. We just did it. We created the play in our portable using Christmas floodlights and sheets across the bulletin board. And, you know, Macbeth is a bit cursed as a play, as you may or may not know. And of course that happened yep. to our, our King Duncan had a severe accident at hockey the night before we had our show. And so I had to step in as King Duncan. And then the class was like, wow, <laughs> it really is cursed. And we had two classes come, <laughs> come in and watch and they were, um, all dressed up in what they could put together in terms of Elizabethan clothes. And it was one of my most memorable experiences as a teacher. And when I think about what they learned through, through that, 
it, it's, it's just very powerful. So we can create space for voice and choice and diversions within our teaching. And even something as simple as asking a group to write a paragraph that consists only of questions, sometimes that can feel really daring. It doesn't have to be, we're going to stage a whole play. It could be just instead of writing sentences, we're going to write questions. So I think that it's important to build in time to break the rules. How, how would you see that through the lens of your your arts? Well, I, I, to me, this is the rule that has all the permission in it right here and takes away all the judgment from the other ones as be, actually being rules, you know, their guidance, because go ahead and break them. You know, if you're not happy with what you did and you can't get yourself out of that rut, that's okay. You know, that's break the rule. If you find yourself creating and analyzing at the same time, or you're putting off doing the work or finding it difficult to celebrate your mistakes, it's okay. You're, you're implementing rule number 10 and there's no judgment around that. And I think it's, this is where the huge permission comes in here. Yes, there are, there are the rules, but go ahead and break them when you need to, because we're human. And we, we know that this happens. We, it just does. And I think it's a great place to move into her hint, which is to always be around, come or go to everything, always go to your classes. In my case, it's fine workshops I can take, read anything you can get your hands on, look at movies carefully, check out YouTube. She didn't have YouTube then, but I think it's a great place to find more places to, to learn from and then save everything. It might come in handy later. And that's something I often tell my students is, is to save those first pieces. Because if you don't have those to compare to, how do you know how far you've traveled? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just this whole thing, this hint here just says to me, be greedy. It's okay mm -hmm. in your creativity. Just mm -hmm. go ahead and be as greedy as you want to be with your creativity. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 integrating all of that learning and inspiration and sharing into everything right life is work and work is life creativity is life and work and invite everything to feed everything so all right so on the playlist today yeah <laughs> we've got uh, of course this book that we're drawing heavily from the learning by heart teachings to free the creative spirit i also added in there it's uh karita kent art and soul the biography so that you can check that out and then a link to the karita art center which is alive and well today and a place that you can visit and i added a couple of ben zander things because i just feel like ben zander is a, a soulmate of karita kent's and I'm, i'd be surprised if they didn't know each other from boston one is a YouTube, how to give an A, and I recommend anything you see on YouTube by him uh, to go ahead and have a look at. And his book, The Art of Possibility by Ben Zander is, I've put a link in for both of those. There's so much this week. By the time we get to next week, if you get a chance to look at these things, you're just going to be right up to date and ready to roll right into our next episode, which will be more lessons from Karita Kent and the Learning by Heart teachings. So this has been a fun episode, Jessica. I've really enjoyed it this has, today. Yeah. I hope our, hope our listeners have, yeah. yeah, I hope so too. And uh, I'm looking forward to continuing to deepen my understanding of these very rich rules. Thanks, everybody. Hey there, April Lee here at the end of the podcast. Now, I know many of you creative folks really hate the idea of rules. I get it. I'm there too. But I really felt like these were just guidelines. They were great ideas that we can incorporate into our creative work that actually will help loosen it up because they felt so light and open. There was room for everything in there. Still, it can feel overwhelming if there's 10 of them to follow. So I just want you to realize and remember 
you don't have to do anything. But if you were to choose just one of these guidelines, which one would it be for you? For me, I know it's going to be number six, that nothing is a mistake. And sometimes our missteps lead us in exactly the right direction that we need to go. I hope you enjoyed this podcast this week. And if you did, could you do us a favor of sharing it with someone else this week? We'd really appreciate it. Help us spread the word. Thanks, and we'll see you in the next episode. You can find more podcast episodes and today's playlist at thehummingbirdpodcast.com. And you can learn more about our creative work at our individual websites. So you can learn more about me, Jessica, at sunshineinajar.com and more about April at aprillyjanes.com, A-P-R-I-L-L-E-J-A-N is in November, E-S.com. If you have any hummingbird questions for us to explore, we invite you to let us know. At thehummingbirdpodcast.com. Hi, this is Jessica, and today I wanted to do a little bit of a plug for one of the offerings that I have at Creativity Coaching Canada. I've put together a creativity workshop called the Creativity Spiral, and you can sign up for an email workshop series that includes invitations to create, some reflections, as well as some videos. So go to creativitycoaching.ca, check it out. It's called the Creativity Spiral. It's all free and delivered straight to your inbox.